0: Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Join on the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Good evening. I have Todd Young. Hi, Todd Young. I'm here also. And we have a guest, Evan Shoss. How are you, Evan? Hey, everybody. Good. Great. All right. Plug time. Fatty Z Muskie products. You can find our products at fattyzmuskie.com. You can find the baits at Team Rhino Outdoors, Muskie Tackle Online, uh, what I do have on the website are rod holders. Looking for the best rod holders out there, uh, look no further than this guy, and I'm putting my two thumbs towards me. So um, I remember that from the office, Vance. Do you remember that, Todd mm-hmm. Packard? <laughs> anyway. This
1: guy's would be better, but if you want to take all the credit, go ahead.
0: <laughs> Anyways, I'll take it off.
1: They're gonna get if they order from Vance Rye, right, They're gonna be very used.
0: <laughs> oh my that. gosh
2: I have you no know, new ones and round, Yeah. well see the funny thing yeah. is
0: is like I look at I, I'm going to go back memory lane like when Todd had the Lund and he's like yeah in that compartment over there is the rod holders and they're laying in this compartment it's, it's mildewy smell and there's like two project X's with these rod holders just thrown up on top of them and I have like little vinyl baggies for mine <laughs> <laughs> i'm
2: just <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah nothing.
0: you paid <laughs> me then
3: i think mine are stuffed in a live well somewhere that just stays a little damp every you know all the time <laughs>
0: yeah keep them yeah. well lubed <laughs> but uh yeah so anyways you can find the rod holders on the website if you're looking to set up your boat or maybe getting a new boat feel free to contact me all right muddy creek how you guys doing
2: we're doing good muddy creek fishing guides mcfishingguides.com get a hold of us for 2020 fishing it's not going to be here before we know it. we have a long winter coming up but uh vance and i's books are open and uh you know i'm gonna say i'm probably we're getting to be you know quarter filled already so if you got some dates you want to come we will go out there and get you out on Chautauqua to get you on some fish i'll also be doing some fishing myself in pennsylvania we had some Really interesting trips there this year, so we'll be doing that late April into May. Looking forward to getting back at it, but uh, we still got to wrap this up up here in New York, dealing with monsoon uh rains today, and we have hurricane style winds. We'll see what the last few days here brings us, but they get a hold of us, we'll do everything we can to get you out there and get you some fish.
0: A uh, quick question Are you guys going out tomorrow?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. do, 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 is there like a wave forecast that you guys know? Because the wind forecast that I'm seeing, I changed my plans for tomorrow when they're saying gust from 50 to 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm.
1: Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, there's like 20 foot waves on Erie right now. But <laughs> uh, I think Todd and I discussed a, an area that we might be able to uh, not sink.
0: Like tomorrow. at the campground. yeah
1: yeah definitely well i don't know the camper
2: almost feels like it's going to roll over here a couple times but (laughs) the winds have came we were doing some shaking the dog was up barking she thought something was going on so did
1: i i don't blame well we'll see i'm going to roll this into uh i'm not afraid of that wind tomorrow because i'm going to be in a ranger boat and they sponsor this show and Muddy Creek Fishing Guide. Shout out to them. If you need a ranger boat, get a hold of Vic Sports Center in Kent, Ohio. Winterization. Um, they sell Starcrafts and Starwelds as well. Uh, they're going to be doing an open house in February for Winter Blues. Come check that out. Jump around in some rangers. See if you like them. But um, dudes. Check that out. St. Croix Rods, best rods on earth. Uh, I don't know. Ice fishing's coming around.
4: <laughs>
1: have some of those. You know? Vance, we have you ever been They're great. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The most boring thing ever. Ice fishing's terrible.
0: Well, you heard it from Vance. I'm not going to comment anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, and also uh, Baker Baits, shout out to them for sponsoring the show. Um, Check them out, buy them the show season. Uh, I know he's stocking up on a bunch of stuff right now. A lot of bait makers are, except for ourselves. Um,
0: Hey, we're trying.
1: (laughs) uh, But yeah, they'll be ready for show season and stuff and get in line now.
0: Excellent. That's okay. That's it uh, for me. Okay. That's it for Vance. Muskie Max Plus, Cannesburg, Pennsylvania. Um, that's coming up the 7th and 8th of March. It's a it's a favorite of ours. Evan, you are going to be going this year? Yes,
3: sir. Yeah, I'll be there. I liked that destination last year, so that was uh pretty cool.
0: Yeah. How many years have you been doing it?
3: Uh, I believe that will be my third year.
0: Your third year. This
3: year. Yeah. I'm going to try to do the New York show as well, but I remember when we started, man, that was uh, the Davis Hollow. Was that a Muskie's Inc. function there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was something else.
0: That was, did you go to the first one?
3: I don't know if the one I went to was the first one. I know it was the last one.
0: <laughs> okay, so they they did so, they did two of them. They did one, I believe, okay. in August, and then one in the spring. Todd, does that sound right?
2: Yeah. I can't, man. I can't remember. I did, I remember going, but boy, I can't remember how many times we did it there.
0: Okay, they, they yeah, were, there were. Yeah, I the were one two. I
3: did was in the spring.
0: Okay, so that was that was the second and the last one, and, gosh, I I wanted to bring this up in this show. We're we're gonna we're gonna hit on this again here soon. Yeah, sounds good. Um. But anyway, so if mark your calendars, early March, great event for the family. You know, down there the weather's starting to break, usually down in that Pittsburgh area. So, you know, cabin fever's getting to you. So uh come on down to the Muskie Max Plus. And Todd, let's hear it.
2: Muskie's zinc yo yo up down get a hold of your local chapter and get involved uh we were just talking some of the chapters our chapter used to put together shows our chapter had some uh started some of these pittsburgh shows a long time ago down in pittsburgh area ended up having some little ones going on different places so the clubs can do all kinds of sorts of things the more people get involved the more they're going to be able to do you can uh work with fisheries work with stocking fish you know, bait fish funds. A lot of the clubs are doing stuff like that, doing extra fundraisers, ma- raising money to help feed fish. And uh, you know, in Pennsylvania we're stocking them much larger than they used to. And from the reports I'm getting, I only get to fish there a little bit in April and May, but got a lot of friends that have been doing real well. You know, and the fishing seems to be improving. So find a local chapter get involved anybody that's into muskie fishing i think it's very important to be involved i don't know how long i've probably been a member for oh 25 years now you know so uh i just did uh, I'll, I'll always be a member we'll just put it that way
0: heard it right from todd all right evan hit up your plugs
2: oh uh, yeah
3: just shaw's bay company that's about it so i was uh to take orders it takes a little bit of while to get them filled, but if you don't mind waiting around, you know, take care of you there or at one of the shows.
0: Where where can they find you at online?
3: Well, you can find me on Facebook. I have a Shaw's Bait Company page. Um, usually have you know post pictures of the newest styles or colors that I've been making and um, trying to start offering some available on there. So keep your eyes peeled if you check that out on Facebook.
0: Give it Shaw's bait company. a yep. big, giant Facebook like, follow. <laughs> all right, okay. So now that we got all of that out of the way, so Evan, what we try to always do with with a new first timer on the show, especially bait makers, let's hear like your history. Give us a history of fishing, how you got into you know fishing, and then musky fishing, and then where how that led you up to where you are.
3: So it's been a pretty crazy journey. And, uh, taking me kind of all over the place, but I've really, I think fishing is one of those things that if you get a good start at an early age, it can take you all over the place. And I'm sure you guys know, I mean, you kind of live the lifestyle that I live and it's, uh, it really changes things for you and keeps things in perspective, gives you a way to keep your mind clear and, uh, goals to achieve so I started out trout fishing, as many kids do in Pittsburgh area. Uh, I grew up in the South Hills, still around that area. And uh would go with my uncles and my grandfather to Pine Creek. I remember you know, the day before opening day, you, you couldn't fall asleep that night. And, you know, you were super excited to get up that morning. And I and, uh, remember the first trout I caught – And they let me keep, put it in a little puddle that was there next to the creek and and tried to keep it alive. As long as I could, I thought I was going to take it home and put it in the aquarium.
0: Okay, but uh, but were they prepared to actually take these fish home with, or was it just like, well, here's a tire track, right?
3: Yeah, no, they were, they were definitely, you know, they they were uh, a put and take, you know, catch them and keep them and cook them on the grill or, you know, they were always into that, so.
4: Did, did you Let know... me
1: interrupt you there. Where was Pine, where was Pine Creek?
3: Pine Creek is a uh, Shaler, Etna area. Okay, or Route Eight. So, got gotcha. you. Yeah, it was a lot more scenic back then. Whenever I was a kid, thinking, you know, like you're going to this far off place, and and then you realize when you're an adult, that was 25 minutes
4: away, and as, <laughs> uh,
3: you know the mountain laurel along the stream doesn't look like it did back then. Right um
1: but,
0: so you got
3: yeah, from there i kind of god i'm sorry i was gonna
0: say so you got this trout did you know the ultimate fate of this trout or did you really think that it was going to <laughs> um, be your friend i'm sure
3: at the time yeah i definitely didn't think of you know the, what was going to happen to it
4: but
0: uh, <laughs> i
3: learned quick my grandfather wasn't one of those kinds of hold back so you know you got your fingers in it right away and and uh i think that kind of changed it for me though because after a while i eating trout I wasn't into them that much <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a different story I guess but yeah so from there I you know I was into that for a while and and kind of got into fly fishing there's a local club at a high school not far from me here at baldwin uh, called family ties and they really did a lot they offered a lot it was classes that were in the high school. Um, where they taught fly casting, and uh, they did some rod building, and some fly tying, and uh, through that club, they had a lot of lot of access to different places, had some grants and things like that. Um, we got into some private water, different places, and then they put on a trip every year that was to Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, and that uh, was a twelve day trip we traveled all over in vans and got to fish some of the most famous fly waters around. So I was really exposed at an early age to some you know, a lot of different kind of fishing. And uh like real- I said before, it's it took me all over the place.
0: Yeah, real quick, now that was this a club that was like for the high school students or it was kind of centered after hours at the high school?
3: Yeah, it was they offered um these classes in gym class, I believe. So you could take, I believe it was just fly casting in the classes, Um, but it was open after school. And I think it was like Thursday nights at, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock or something like that. And it was a couple hours, but I was in a different school district. So I found out through a friend and, uh, you know, got involved with a rod building class first.
0: Okay. So you, you might be, instead of all, you know, freshmen, sophomores, seniors, juniors. Oh yeah. That, that, yeah. That there were other people like 40s yes, and 50s. Definitely. Okay. And, and
3: it wasn't they also offered, you know, beginner classes. So it was all age groups. I mean, there were some younger guys taking it, some some kids, you know, obviously, and then, uh some older, you know, maybe even retired guys. Um but it was more of like a mentorship program, so it was really good because there were knowledgeable people there um, to help and kind of guide you along the way so not just in the classes on the fishing trips too so when they took you places you really you, you learn technique more than just going fishing so it really helped a lot from uh, the aspects of like reading water and i really feel strongly that if you know how to if you start fishing in moving water and learn how to read moving water um fishing lakes becomes a lot easier too so it's just one of those things that, you know, the, the little nuances that you can find that fish do in certain circumstances really translate back and forth if you can pick up on them. So from there, I mean, I, I kind of I graduated high school. I went to college, and when I went to college, I went to Penn State. So I studied first in Penn State Erie. Um, I picked it because I love the steelhead fish. Yeah. My parents yeah. probably shouldn't hear this, but you know <laughs> I spent a lot of time, a lot of time on the Erie streams. I got a job at Gander Mountain. It's probably you know the second worst thing you could do is somebody who likes fishing and is a student. Um, but that, what that year? Really, what yeah.
0: year were you working at Gander?
3: Um, I will say it was 2000, maybe 2001
0: to 2003 ish. Okay. So. It, the, the dates don't match up, but because my, you know, my wife, you know, at the time she was my girlfriend, she was working at Gander Mountain, but not not oh, those okay. years. So I was just like, yeah. Man, that'd have been coincidental. But
3: and that was another one of those places. I mean, through Gander Mountain, I met like four different people that you know did different fishing things. I learned to fish the bay at Erie. Um, knew a guy that was a avid duck hunter and learned how to duck hunt on Presque Isle. I mean, it was like probably the worst place you could go to school if you wanted to actually learn you
0: know penn state you're
3: trying to study <laughs> yeah um but then after that i transferred one to uh, penn state main campus and and since i was into the fly fishing i got involved with the fly fishing club um and through that learned you know learned a ton met a lot of crazy people we got to meet lefty cray uh some other famous fly fishermen local guys from you know out in central pa and but there got a point there at the end of that. Uh, I got really big into uh, saltwater fly fishing, and uh, I had worked on a charter boat in Cape Hatteras for a summer, and just saw some ridiculously crazy things. Um,
0: Let's talk about that because okay, what what what's what kind of <laughs> charter boat?
3: <laughs> so it was a, it was, you know, one of those circumstances. My mom is a teacher. Um, was a teacher. She's retired now. Um, my two uncles were both teachers and they're retired. My aunt's a teacher and she's retired. So it was like, you know, all in the family. Um, and you were going to so become we a,
0: a deck mate on the charter boat?
3: <laughs> yeah, no. We met a couple down there that ran a charter boat. So the husband was the captain and the first mate was the wife. And the boat was called Teacher's Pet. So obviously it was a natural fit that we contacted them and went out with them. But they were the nicest couple from uh, New Jersey, had a summer home down there in Cape Hatteras, and I uh, ran these charter boats where, you know, it was more of, it was kind of a friendlier charter than going out offshore. Uh, they did mostly inshore trips and, and some stuff in the sound and things like that, so it wasn't, you know, the 1000 or $1,500 offshore trips that some families can't afford, so, you know, we stayed Stay local. And, and a lot of the times, too, we weren't trying to catch a giant hole of fish. And that's one thing down there that's really tough because you you go out with a captain and pay him all this money. And his first idea is that he has to produce for you. And you're just slaying them left and right. And, you know, you get – I think we, we'd we probably go um, maybe six people or eight people. So we could, you know, we'd only keep so many fish and then tell them that we didn't want any more. And they'd kind of get offended. so it was uh it was different for a while but then we met this couple and uh they really helped us out a lot got to know them personally spent some time going down there and uh, they offered me to come down for a summer uh, which was really awesome um you know i was a high school kid living on the bay you'd walk out the back door and fish Uh, so we'd go out and fish you know family goes down to catch spanish mackerel Um, kept some cobia and things like that. So it was pretty cool as, you know, as a kid to see that, but I got introduced from them to, um, another boat down there and, uh, they fished a tournament called the big rock blue Marlin tournament. And at the time I heard that that was like the second largest blue Marlin tournament in the world. And, and that just took it on to another level for me because those guys, um, had more money than they knew what to do with, you know, I mean, they were putting $500 worth of gas in their boat every time they'd run offshore. And, uh, you know, they weren't they weren't charter boats. These were just, you know, guys. They were, you know, this guy, I guess, was a uh, developer in D.C. So it made all his money building housing developments and things like that. So it was pretty interesting. And um, I learned a lot about different things that you'd never, you know, wouldn't think of They did put up money. They call it Calcutta apparently. And, uh, that's between just the captain. So in, you know, in addition to the prize money from the tournament, which I guess was around a million dollars or something like that, that there was, you know, the captains would put up $50,000 a piece and that there was, you know, an additional you know, fifty five hundred thousand dollars or something like that out there. Um,
0: I mean, okay, so, so where's the big money tournaments? That's where I'm interested. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so these guys would, and it was it was strange because you had five days to fish, or five possible days to fish in the week, and you could only fish three of them. So you really had to, you know, watch the weather and see what was going on to pick which days you wanted to fish because if you missed one early, then, you, you know, you have to make it up in the end, and if it was going to be bad, then you kind of miss out. Um
0: were you in on so, these tournaments, like helping or anything? Yeah,
3: I I worked on the boat, so it was um, it was just long, long days. But some of the stuff that the captains would do, they would get images, um, aerial images of the sea surface temperatures. So they try to find eddies along the Labrador and the Gulf Current, and um, you'd see like places where these eddies would form and the bait fish would get stuck and that's where they'd end up catching all the fish. Um, so it's really amazing. Like, you know, the research that goes into it is on a different level than, you know, just me looking at a BA fishing boat commission website on the lake, (laughs) and trying to pick a place to go launch a boat.
0: They have contour lines every 12 feet on a 20 foot deep lake. (laughs)
3: Yeah, Yeah. You're lucky if you can find, Shallow or the deep end.
0: Right. But, did did you guys so from there? I mean, did you catch any in this tournament? I'm, I'm very, we curious.
3: actually did. It was weird. Um, so there was two different divisions in the tournament and there was a kill division and a release division. So the kill division is over 400 pounds or I believe it was a hundred inches. I might be wrong on that, but it was something around it. Um, so they have a technique that they use where they have a piece of like cotton um it's like webbing like a belt almost. that's the lens that you need the fish to be. and they attach it to the leader and slide it down the leader so it lays along the fish to measure it. So it was pretty interesting, but the one that we caught just happened to be like right at that cusp so, it was the ultimate decision whether you wanted, because if you kept the fish that was under that 400 pounds or, you know, whatever that length length was, you got penalized and the penalty was great enough that it kind of put you out of contention. So it's like you're making a judgment call on something that could make or break your tournament. And uh, so they ended up releasing the fish because it was just so close, too close to judge. But um, it was right up there. I mean, it was, as long as the side of the boat was, it was pretty crazy. Hmm.
0: <laughs> and like, wh- how could you go back to freshwater after doing this stuff?
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I could work on a boat, but I couldn't afford to go out on a boat like that every day. <laughs> there was no way. And that was, you know, that in itself was a completely different lifestyle. You're, you're coming back at six seven o'clock in the evening Washing the boat down, basically going home, shoving food in your mouth, and falling asleep and waking up at you know, four o'clock the next morning. And uh, at that time, I didn't have a vehicle down there, so I was riding. This is people are going to make fun of me forever for this, but I was riding a bike down the shoulder of the highway. And uh, I you know, had about a mile and a half ride to the boat launch or to the marina every day. And, uh, the guys that were also mates would drive by me on the highway and beep and, you know, like the wicked witch of the West driving their bikes on the side of the road. But yeah, it was a, it was a good time. The, One of those no, things. That, there
0: was no, no time. You're like, Hey, would you stop and like, throw. yeah,
4: <laughs> no, they
3: were, they were definitely not stopping to pick me up. I don't know. I that was the, you know, fresh meat on the boat. So they just, <laughs> they gave it to me every chance they could. Okay. Yeah. I was doing all the hard, you know, every grunt job that you possibly could, cleaning out the chum bucket and everything else.
0: Okay. So. So you screwed around in in the deep blue sea for a while, then.
3: Yeah. What, what. Then somehow made it back to Pittsburgh and, and at that time I was in college, so I was still doing the fly fishing and that kind of stuff. Um <clears throat> But there became a point there at the end whenever I was about to graduate from Penn State that I had the realization that when I moved back to Pittsburgh, I was going to lose these limestone, you know, pristine trout streams and be fishing in that Pine Creek that I was so fond of <laughs> when I was seven years old. So, um, you know, I, I kind of started getting into some different things and experimenting with Town fishing the spillway out there trying to catch a striper, uh, which never worked. And. And that kind of is where I got started in the musky fishing because I had the idea that, all right, spillways are good places in the spring to catch fish. And it turned out that I ended up catching my first one in Tuning, uh, below the spillway there in the Shenango. So, I fished from there, there once. I, yeah, there's, there's fish there. <laughs> Apparently, a lot of people know about it, so... <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine that anybody would ever be alone down there, but like, there was a time I was there alone, and sure enough, I left a whole batch of lures that I was trying to test right on the shoreline and went home, so if anybody oh. found those, I hope they caught fish on them.
0: Okay, so <laughs> wait, this was later after you started making your own baits, you left a whole bunch of baits there?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, that was one of those. Yeah, that was whenever I first started, I was making like a four-inch uh, casting bait that you could fish in shallow streams i'd fish a lot of the places you'd fish around there french creek and uh Cochranton and all that fun stuff but would do the run you know down 79 and try to hit a bunch of places oh jeez.
4: okay yeah. so it was,
3: it's a it's a top up there upon i left them and then didn't realize until i was too far down
0: and you're just like man they're gone just oh yeah see you
3: yeah yep it was, I think it was more of one of those, where did I put that? I think that was in the back of the car. And then you look and it's
1: like, no, it's not there. And I was like, oh man,
3: that Was that the
1: back there. Was <laughs> that the lures you caught your first muskie on?
3: Um, I didn't leave that one, but it was a batch in that style. Yeah.
0: So your yeah. first okay, muskie so you was, ha- go ahead, Vance.
1: You still had the template. Of all oh that. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So your first muskie was caught on a bait that you made. Yeah. So, you know, you were kind of still doing the fly fishing, and you were doing that going for the striper thing. That didn't really work out that yeah. well. And then you just started uh, bringing casting gear? Yep. Okay.
3: Yeah, and then I kind of, you know, that was, I think I was buying some baits at Dick's and that kind of thing. Because in State College, honestly, there was, like, nothing. There was nowhere to buy baits. So I think I was, I got, like, a couple of those Renoski rubber baits. That are, and, oh, and yeah. Were, you know.
0: those, those paddle tail swim baits.
3: Yeah, there was a paddle tail swim bait, and they made another bait. I don't know what it was called. It looked kind of like a banjo minnow, and it had this like piece of copper in the middle of it that you could bend, okay and it would do this crazy walk-the-dog pattern. So it, it kind of reminded me of um one of those baits that Larry Dahlberg makes. I think he makes something Mr. Wiggly. Yes, yeah. So, And honestly, I think that might have been out before Mr. Wigley was out,
0: but
3: <laughs> you know how it goes. Um,
0: so when, when was this first muskie caught? What About what year?
3: I would have to say it was um, 2004, I believe. Okay. So, And I was hitting all those places. I'd fish a spillway woodcock. I think that was where I had my first multi-fish day. I think I caught three. And they were all like twenty six to thirty one maybe. But I was pretty pumped, you know. I think uh the half of the paint was falling off of the side of the lure and
4: but mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it's one of those, yeah, you learn the hard way. Yeah, and back in those days people weren't giving out information. It wasn't like you just posted on Facebook, you know, what's the best way to seal a bait? <laughs> Yeah, you yeah, did that, it, and people would like laugh at you or you know scold
4: you.
0: Yeah, and it, and and you know I I've kind of gone away from that those kind of groups. Like I just you know I mute them or whatever oh, yeah, you can do, and yeah. it's just yeah, it's because I'm seeing some of the same questions from whatever ten years ago. Yeah, and and I'm I'm seeing some of the responses, and I'm like, man, I thought we were beyond this. And and I just
3: think that's part of it, too. You know, you almost have to be wise beyond your years because a lot of these guys are saying stuff that's not even true. You know, I mean, I I don't know. I guess it's once you get a process done, you're pretty comfortable with what you're doing. It doesn't matter what anybody tells you. You're you're comfortable with what you're doing, you know. Exactly. And uh, I hate to share information with somebody because what works for me might not work for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a basis of you got to try it yourself and figure out what works for you yourself because anybody can tell you and, and surely you can spend a ton of money, you know? So take the time to learn how to do it the way that works for you. And, uh, and I think you'll be a lot happier in the long run.
0: Yeah. To, you so. know, I, I mean, I think that's great advice because, there are huge epic failures that I have that I prominently display in my little museum that I have over here. <laughs> and it's it's one of those like if 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 someone would have handed me the secret recipe on how to do something to make it work right out the gate, I don't think the yeah. stuff would be nearly as good.
3: Nope. Or you would at least you wouldn't feel like you put in the effort to learn how to do it the right way, right?
0: Yeah, it but I mean it it
3: same goes for fishing. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things. I mean, there's guys out there that yeah, you get information and you're on a hot bite, but then you're chasing the next hot bite and you know, I mean it's it's so much more I feel like you feel like you're so much more accomplished if you actually learn to do it. And once you learn to do it, you know, then you can replicate it. But chasing the bites just one of those things where you're just always looking for information.
0: Right. And then also, like, if if you didn't spend the time learning something else, maybe the hard way, when that hot bite that might be going on on Lake A goes away, you can always just slink back to where your normal stuff is. You know, these guys that are bite chasers, they're going to be, oh, yeah, we got X amount and so many name your thing. And then they're like, yeah, we've gone four months, five months, six months without (laughs) a fish. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, you're one, you're a one trick pony. Congratulations. You you caught your fish. It doesn't really change my life at all, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I I look back and i I smile at those years that I struggled.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. So, Uh, so going on with the story and it kind of plays in the way you're talking about too, Is whenever I first started musky fishing, um, I brought the fly rod out too. And I would go to places like French Creek or go to Woodcock. Um, and I kind of got introduced into muskie fishing through uh, a kid that I worked at PennDOT with. I was an intern at PennDOT one summer, and he had a place on tuning. Uh, his name is Sean McGurgan. Always will uh, be grateful for him for, uh, you know, opening up opportunities for me like that. He had a small boat, uh, so we would go out on PimaTooning and um this is like first lake muskie. so now i've moved on from fishing in the spillways to you know a small little i don't know it's maybe 12 foot 14 foot tenor, uh just a you know tiller you'd uh, you know we learned how to troll a little bit i think i went to that one of those very last um musky ink shows that they had a robert morris which was, you know, pretty amazing to me whenever I first started that they could have something in a convention center, because um, there was no—I you know, mean, there might have been a fly tying show at that hotel up there in Cranberry, but uh, there was nothing like, you know, you were going to going to a bigger venue like that and seeing, you know, lore makers and and that kind of stuff on display. So, and uh, so that was pretty cool to me to see. You know, see that, and I think Legend was there. Got a couple of the little perch baits, and we trolled them on time of Tuning, and caught a couple of fish. And, um, you know, I did that for maybe a year or two years, and then we finally caught a decent one. And that was, you know, one of those things that I will never forget. Uh, we were trolling on Pima Tuning. And the rod went off and looked back and a fish was on the surface of the water and it just looked absolutely enormous. And uh, I was just like rolling and I'm thinking, what the heck just happened here? Um, Because every time, you know, the rod goes off and I still do it. I look at the depth finder. I'm like, is that a snag or is that a fish? (laughs) It takes me a minute. And uh, I've been running a GoPro and it's funny watching the GoPro. You know, you hear the rod and it's like, what are you doing? Get up, get up. Oh, okay. But um so we got that fish in a boat and it was 45 inches, but you know, those climate tuning fish have that giant thick build on them. So it looked you know, a lot bigger than it was, but at the time that was the monster to us. And I will never forget that. I was on a Leon muskie dog, orange belly perch. Um, a you know, fish left a big giant tooth in the side of it, you know, so
4: did you after leave the that? Tooth? It was over.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we took pictures of the lure with the tooth in it and all that fun stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was a, over after that. So I started, I, I ended up getting this uh, inflatable pontoon boat. So it's like one of those little, ones like a, the step up from a float tube, so okay. like a catamaran kind of style. And uh, I would take that thing and go to Tamarack or Woodcock, um, fish a lot of those lakes, places I'd try to get like pretty shallow. And I uh, caught a couple of muskies on my fly rod doing that. Um, and that kind of, you know, there's a point there where I'm thinking, all right, how am I going to make the next step to a boat? Because this isn't, you know, I can't do this. I can't paddle fast enough to row troll in this thing.
4: <laughs> and uh,
3: that's kind of weird because that was that was always one of those things in my mind was I, I'd love to buy a row troller because just rowing in that little thing was awesome to me and seeing what those guys did out in Wisconsin with the road trollers. And I think I saw one one time on Lake Arthur, but I've never, you know, it, it, there's certain things that happen out in the Midwest that you don't see around here. And uh, that's definitely one of them. Yeah, I I'd mean, love to do that one time.
0: I, I can start a fire with two sticks, um, but the <laughs> lighter is just as easy.
3: <laughs> yep, yep, I agree with you. I agree. I think there's something about the nostalgia, though, and, and that's kind of uh, what got me into lore-making. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing with Elwood, I mean, that was just, there's, I think it might have been Deborah Weisberg. Um, I met Howard. So Sean's Sean went to uh, Northgate High School. I believe Howard Wagner's wife, uh, significant other, worked there. And as a reward for students doing well in school, um, she would offer them a fishing trip with Howard. So Howard would take some of these kids out and, you know, I don't know if they always musky fished or not, but somehow Sean had hooked up with Howard back in the day when he was in high school. Or, and uh,
0: You're talking about Howard so Wagner.
3: I, yeah, correct. I'm sorry. Um, so I got to know Howard and, you know, obviously that was one of the only places around – uh, besides Sportsman's Warehouse at the time where you could buy fishing lures, uh, musky lures, local kind of stuff. Um, so I'd go out there and, and always pick his brain and try to get, always try to get a couple fishing lures and, you know, learn something off them. Um, but just through through Howard and, uh, you know, through the club that he started up there, that Moraine Musky Association, I met so many people and that was kind of, you know, once that happened, I I was basically a muskie fishing addict and uh, it took me on a whole different level. So there was a presentation that was put on by a fellow named Rich Whiteside and I was for kayak fishing for muskies. So it was really interesting to me because being that I was fishing out of this pontoon boat, we really had a lot of similarities. You couldn't cast baits that had a lot of drag to them because it kind of just turned you in a circle. Mm
4: -hmm. So
3: you had to use certain things that you, you know, a lot of glide baits and that kind of stuff. I did really well on um, crane baits. Um, And there was a certain color crane bait that I ended up, you know, you know how it is. You catch one muskie, you buy six of the lure, same color. Right, you, know, you might catch four more fish on it over the lifetime of you know, fishing. Yeah, but you need the backup in case this sure one goes have, bad. The, oh yeah, that's it. So, but um, you know, once I started doing that and, and talking to Rich, Rich basically said, "Hey, I fish every weekend. Um, I'm going fishing regardless if you're coming with me or not. But there's always an open seat if you want to go." So Rich spent a lot of time on the rivers too so that was one of those things where I was learning something completely different than I was used to at the time because I was trying to fish a lot of these other lakes uh, trout fished on smaller streams but never got on to the bigger stuff like the Allegheny or the Mon. Um, so it was a whole different feel for me but it took me uh, <laughs> so... Rich Whiteside was also on Muskie first. so at that time Muskie first the website was thriving pretty good. There was um they did a thing that was called match fishing. So okay. it was pretty unique because you could uh, you had a team and a lot of those guys were from the Midwest. Um, so they would you know you would say you know you'd have a schedule so you'd you know be fishing against this person on this Saturday or whatever so it was from midnight to midnight i believe um so basically you went out and you would be contacted the night before by one of the moderators on the site and they would give you an item that you had to have in your fish picture so it would have been something goofy a lot of times um but sometimes people would be somewhere so you couldn't couldn't really do that to them because they didn't have access to you know so so sometimes it wasn't but um you go out and you'd fish wherever you were at. So whatever, you know, whatever body of water was close to you at the time, you'd fish. And then the team was fishing, you know, across the country on a different body of water. Uh, and then you would be able to compare what your catches were. And then they ranked that for the season and there was an overall winner. I don't know what you won, but I'm sure it was probably a fishing rod and some baits or something like that. But it I was pretty interesting because...
0: I don't remember that at all on that site.
3: It was weird because there's a lot of things that I would have never found if it wasn't for him, and uh, a couple of the other things were the trips that they did. Okay. And uh, we went on a trip through, and I don't think it was necessarily through Muskies first, but it was a it was organized on the website, and um, it was to Prescott, Wisconsin, and I believe it was in October. And that was kind of, you know, where the whole road trolling stuff came about. But we'd also sucker fish. And uh, that's like, you know, Pennsylvania is pretty difficult. Not so much today. Um, you can find suckers in some bait shops around now. But you know, five, eight years ago, it really... And, and I, you know, I think it's the growth of both the fishing in our area and also the muskie fishing. But... um. You know, out there in Wisconsin, you go into a gas station, and the girl that's working in front of the gas station, you know, walks back in the side of the building, and there's a giant tank that has these 24-inch musky suckers in it. <laughs> so she puts on these gloves that go up to her elbows and pulls this net out and catches you, you know, whichever ones you want. And you try not to be uh, too picky about the ones that she picks, but... You know, as a a person that's using this live bait, you got to make sure she picks something good for you. So, because they're not 75
0: cents a piece.
3: Oh, no, they're they're, you know, 12 to 14 dollars or something like that. They might have gone up over time, but and it's one of those things, too. I mean, apparently, there's uh, you know, you, you watch social media at all. There's a sucker shortage or there was a sucker shortage. Who knows what's going on with it now? But, you know, it's one of those things that when we go out there, I'd literally have seven bait shops phone numbers in my phone. And uh, you'd go to one and if they were out, you'd call another one and you'd check, you know. And and people were, you know, they call them, what do they call them, truck chasers or something like that here when they're stalking trout yeah. in a body of water. And you're literally chasing the bait truck there. And you see the sucker truck somewhere, and you're like getting a candy store. <laughs> it's like, oh man, we could get her. you pick them right out of the truck. So, geez. But yeah, it's it's
4: a different cool world I mean
3: Yeah, it's definitely a different world. And I mean, obviously, <laughs> land of ten thousand lakes or something like that. You you know Minnesota from wherever we you're staying in Travis Isle uh, You had a choice of like twenty different lakes in a forty-five minute drive. And I mean I think one of the things too when I first started muskie fishing, I read um, I read a lot and one of the books that I had read, Time on the Water, had taken place out there around Boulder Junction. And a lot of the lakes in that area had a history with guys like Joe Buker and stuff like that. I mean so when we were out there the one day, I think we were in I was I'm not sure exactly what the city was, but maybe Tomahawk or something like that. And And we're in the uh, go to eat lunch in Subway and guy walks in behind us and it's Steve hiding. (laughs) And it's like, you know, you feel like a lunatic because you're like, I know who you are. And you're like a celebrity to me. (laughs) And out there, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not like that out there. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things like uh, I get all excited, like, oh, geez, look at this, you know, but
0: you're (laughs) starstruck a little. Yeah,
3: exactly. Like, man, I wonder what he's doing in his afternoon after he eats his subway. Wonder if he's going musky fishing. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But that's one of those things that was kind of cool because you know, through that and learning how to sucker fish, we came back and we did a little bit of that around here. And uh, and it's not what people think, you know. I think that's one of those it's a misconstrued tale that you put a sucker on and fish are just chomping up your line every time you know, you drift over a spot uh, that's not the case but they'll eat them and uh but we've had you know just as many fish eat a bait you know while you're sucker fishing as we have eat a sucker so it doesn't mean that you know one technique is greater than the other but Mm -hmm. certain days it'll get hit you know certain days the bait will get hit or jig will get hit or whatever but it's just one of those techniques that you can use you know certain times of the year especially whenever it's cold you can just put out that rod and jig or do something like that but got to make sure you use a good quick strike rig or something like
2: that so yeah good good stuff i mean i remember the the one thing i remember what first time to wisconsin up in that same area up around tomahawk and all those lakes there's so many lakes there uh i remember like pulling into the gas station and seeing that they had a pump of of, with pre-mixed gas guys were just pulling up and dumping gas already 50 to 1 mix right in their boat and just go to the (laughs) lake you know i mean (laughs) around here people are like oh you're going fishing you know up there they have their own top. That's great. <laughs> yep. They know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you were this well traveled.
3: Holy smokes. Sorry about
0: that. Yeah, what were you doing over there?
3: I um I'm <laughs> using a footrest. It's also a Craftsman's wet dry. <laughs> Just happened to hit the right button. <laughs>
2: there you go. <laughs> oh, no, that's all that's all that's neat stuff, man. That's a really, really cool. I, I I do remember that match fishing because I was I had some friends that did it a couple times. That I remember, spe- like we were in Lake St. Clair, and he had to. We had to. They had to go. He wasn't in my boat, but they had to go by a, uh, a <laughs> like a newspaper. I think one day yeah. he had to get a, a soccer ball. <laughs> so yep. they were. He was getting up in the morning and like running, running to, the store to try to find up. a Walmart yeah. or something. Yeah, yes. yeah, a golf ball. Or- <laughs> something you know you stuffed had animal it. or yeah, in a the pair picture, of
3: sunglasses yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> that's the way yeah, they it's do like, that, what yeah. are you doing with that giant coffee mug in your back right? yeah like, oh, just yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah and that was the thing i mean through that that club also i think they had a um an auction or something it was called operation musky uh we went on a trip to lake of the woods so you know that's a it's something not many people do from western Pennsylvania. I believe that was something like eighteen or twenty two hours or something like that. Oh um, at
0: least. That's a drive. Yeah, yeah, it
3: was it was definitely, you know, Morrison's a tough place to get to. So yeah, it was it was something else. So I mean, just from meeting Rich and, and the other thing was the Chicago Muskie Show. We would fly out to Chicago, um, go to the Muskie show that day and then fly home the next day. And uh, it was really something else. I mean, you were, it was completely different. Like I said, that Robert Moore show was probably the closest to anything that I had ever seen like that. I mean, it's, you know, they got all kinds of boats and all kinds of, you know, Musky Hunter Magazine, Thorn Brothers. You know, it's like, there's a kid who was looking at this, or a guy who was looking at this, these catalogs, you know, you're like, holy smokes, you can pick any muskie lure you want out here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and talking to some bait makers and I met Larry Dahlberg, you know, it was one of those cool accomplishments I feel in my life, you know, to see these people and get a chance to talk to them and, uh, through that then, and, um, you know, just getting more and more into muskie fishing. I got involved in a, a pay-per-view muskie forum. Um, that was called musky tooth and that was organized by Johnny Dadson up in Ontario. And, um, I'd spent some time fishing up there also. And uh, there was a group of guys that were, um, we all played basketball together at a local high school and they went to Canada every year and we started going up to Georgian Bay. And, um, and that's another one of those things where there was a book, 120 days, um, great book. And you know about the same areas that we had fished up there, and kind of gives you a you know feel of what it takes on a body of water that's tough like that. I mean, you really spend a lot of time, and uh, you know, you're really at a disadvantage for being you know only having a week or you know a couple of days to fish it because you know sometimes those areas take a lot longer to pattern or and, are... and oh, it helps take years. To... It really helps, I have found. Um, and you guys I'm sure know this, but some of the top guides in the game just have a great network of people that they're able to talk to. Oh yeah.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. So, and that's what I learned from Johnny Dadson. I mean, there was, you know, people in different areas that were catching fish, but based on, you know, the moon phase or whatever it might've been, the seasonal migration of bait fish or, you know, there's, there's always a, a better area to be in than, than the other one. So knowing, you know, knowing the most information about the body of water that you're fishing is always
0: it probably obviously be important. the best thing you could do. <laughs> yep. Nice. And then I mean how how did all this get you into into like wanting to produce a bait for market?
3: <laughs> so I was really You know, I got into that uh, Marine Muskie Association, like I had mentioned before, and um, Howard was catching some really nice fish on pikey minnows, and uh, one of the guys in the club was Jerry Mintier. And um, Jerry Mintier is a – he was different to me because he was very quiet, and I think that was um, more common with, you know, the muskie guys that were – around before I was around. You know, these guys didn't talk to a lot of people. Uh, they didn't brag about fish that they bought. Um, it was completely different world. So I was, you know, one of those things. I don't know if I was starstruck or maybe more shy, scared to approach him. But um, after a couple of meetings, I started talking to Jerry, and he really really helped me out with some of the stuff with they making that I had had some trouble with and um you know i i kind of refocused my efforts and started to work on some stuff that was more u- unique to me and not you know copying i think a lot of guys um started out with making similar stuff which was you know flat flat shad you know
0: grandma style
3: but kind of yeah grandma style um anything that's you know a flat bait like that that's kind of you cut it out, and because obviously that's you know, it's what's out there, and you have an idea of what you're doing. Because like I said before, I mean there wasn't a whole lot of information on it. this is how you make a bait or not. Um, and I know one of the websites is still around, I believe it is like in foreign. You know, I'm not sure what language it's in, but you know, I I can't decipher that stuff. So I feel like trial and error is just as good. So. Mm-hmm. I, I figured out what worked for me and uh like we had talked about in the very beginning um got something that i was comfortable with and catching fish on and uh was able to make a couple and and do my first show so i think at that show i brought i think it was 15 baits and um I think I sold thirteen of them or something like that.
0: Okay, so that um, show what I what I wanted to to bring up and why I stopped it earlier in the show was that was the second moraine show. And if memory serves me, I'm trying to remember the layout of the of the show. I think Todd's booth was kinda by you. I was right next to Hammerlures back when I yeah. was making the blanks for Paul okay, and we we did a trade, if you can remember. I had yep. one of my very early on 10 inch super senior, the swim baits yep, and I still got one it. of the meatballs <laughs> yep that that's kind of like to me your staple bait and it's in my museum right now
3: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> I still have it and I yep. look at it now compared to some of the ones that you put up on. You know, like I'll I'll go check out your booth at the Musky Max and the ones, and I'm just like, I got an original. So if you had 15, oh, yeah. I have yep. one of the originals. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so that that was that was kind of the neat thing because I remember as the show was kind of winding down, you and a bunch of other guys went down to the dock that they had down the like by there's a boat ramp oh, or something. Yeah,
3: I do. Yeah, I remember that.
0: And you guys were throwing stuff around. I mean, I didn't I didn't yeah. leave my booth, but. Um, it was just <laughs> what, that was like the, I think the first time I met you. Yep. So, um,
3: yeah. And I don't know. And I'm, that's one of those things that I'm kind of unclear of because I didn't realize that there was a first show. So if you did that, then that wasn't, but I think that might've been Paul's first show with Hammerlores, right?
0: Yes, it, it was. His. Yep. That so, was...
3: and that's like, the, to me, that was the, you know, one of those milestones of Western Pennsylvania bait makers, right? it was maybe one day there's going to be an article written about that event
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was
2: that was andy that was your first show
0: second first show was the moraine in august when you got those swimmers
2: okay so yeah so that was the two shows okay yeah
0: no because there was was also yeah i know that's the
2: first time you
0: that might have been my third show because i think i did the butler show in between those two moraine shows
2: oh okay
0: okay and then, yeah, I know
2: that's where that's where we got, you know, Todd. We got a hold of you to come down to that show, but and I do remember that they did a couple. of them, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that w- that would have been my third <laughs> I don't know show. If that was
2: all the same one or not? Yeah. yeah. Be-
0: because I remember at that that year's uh, Butler show, I think Todd, you were with Jim Burr on the other side of the room, the other side yeah. of the cafeteria, and I had my own little thing, and I mean. Yep. I look back that I thought I was just killing it at that show. (laughs) Looking back, I'm just like, holy crap, is this embarrassing? (laughs) But yeah, that, that was, that was when, you know, you, I think you played around, you had the resin, you were messing around with the resin. That's when hammer was, um, you know, I was, I, I, I got that bait up and going and that was, you know, very early on when he was doing his selling of stuff so yeah. it and then i remember grandma was there and she she kind of started talking to me i mean she was a little disgruntled like yeah. uh grandma from grandma good looks yeah she she thought i was really <laughs> good looking and then she found out that i was married and she got a little upset um but uh she was just you know kind of telling me about you know how you're gonna need insurance and excise tax and she was doing all this stuff but she was kind of was like I thought there's going to be more people here I wasted my day kind of under her breath as yeah. she was putting <laughs> everything away <'Cause laughs> their setup was she would just go and spread all the baits out on a table like
1: oh yeah just dump them out there i know so, yeah, so you were you were there with the swimmer Todd was there with Muddy Creek but you also mm-hmm. had the and you helped uh Hammer Lords get that little in injection molding you're already like doing that i you're making molds
0: yeah so yeah it was um the initial like to get the to get the hammer lure up and going um you know i i made i made some of the original molds for paul and made close to 200 of his first blanks and then uh but yeah that was that was real early on gosh that would have been wow that is that that could
1: be a uh Uh, definitely a staple in the, uh, a story could be written about that show. Then
0: that would have been two thousand.
1: That was 12. I'm sorry. 2012 2012.
0: spring of 12, because, um, my daughter was born in June of 12. And this was prior to her (laughs) being born. So So
3: Wiley was there. What? Muska lunch.
0: You know, Wiley was there, I believe. And then I also think that Newman was there. Don't Newman think,
3: was there too, yeah.
0: I don't think Leo was there, though.
3: Yeah, I don't believe so.
0: Gosh, I'm I'm digging up a lot of memories <laughs> on this one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that was one of those. I, I remember sitting there thinking, geez, oh, man, I don't know. This is a couple hours longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, I think what kills that place, and obviously there's nothing going on there at least with Muskie shows, but I think it took you like 45 minutes to drive back that road to get to that place. Yeah. Oh yeah they go yeah, What way is it? Like 25 around. mile an hour speed limit yeah. to the park and you're just putzing
2: along. Holy smokes.
4: <laughs> yeah. I think yeah
2: that building's getting tore down if it isn't already. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was an inconvenient place. I mean, other than the fact <laughs> that the lake was right there, it was not easily accessible. Yeah. I mean, but I want to think that for being at the time, again, memory lane, I was like, man, I did great. And I look back and I'm like, man, I probably didn't pay for much more than the gas I had going down. (laughs) But I mean, you're getting started and you just got to get out there and do it. Yep.
3: Yep. I mean, I don't know, honestly, if I've ever heard back, um, I'll have to rectify that statement. I have heard back of a couple of fish caught on those baits, but um, not many. And that's one of those things, you know. I mean, I can't tell you how many baits I've put out there, and uh, feedback from guys is just one of those things. It's tough to get sometimes, but it's usually
0: not the feedback you want to hear. No, <laughs> the good feedback the stuff doesn't that you come get very often.
4: Yeah, you're
2: right. You're right about that. Yep. But no, is is the meatball wood or resin right
3: now? The meatball back then was wood. Now That's the meatball thought. is resin. That's yeah, I thought, okay. Yeah. 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 I know Jim Burr still has a couple that he's running up there around Lake Arthur and catching fish on. So he's definitely <laughs> he's he's still at it and still catching fish. So
0: off the pontoon.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear. Good to hear when Jim's out and act this stuff. So.
0: Todd right. has some great stories that I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't want to dive into it right now. It's, it's, you know, we're over an hour, but it's just some of this stuff. Like Todd's watching the graph and all the rods go off at once. <laughs>
4: yeah. All right.
1: It doesn't sound like you're laughing. Is that one of the stories? No, no. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Yeah.
1: The Todd was running the rod. I know,
4: uh, yeah. but. <laughs> no, because someone oh, was driving man. the boat. And someone like, ran
0: yeah, just, you just can't get up on the road. Okay. <laughs>
1: the whole spread. Oh,
0: man. There's sunken roads in this lake. So when they say don't go over the road, it might come up several feet and you wipe yep. the whole spread out at the same time.
1: <laughs> That's so funny to me.
0: Oh man! So, so okay. But so yeah. from that show, you you started, you know, tinkering and, and dinking and dunking, and now you got a little lineup. It seems.
3: Yeah, um, I don't really even know how many paints I make. Honestly, uh some of them I'm trying to make. Some of them I, I haven't made in a while, but. I don't know what I'm going to do for Musky Max, Um, but I'll definitely have meatballs there. And the thing that happened a couple years ago, and I don't know if you remember or not, but I had asked you some questions about um, getting a mold made out of aluminum. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those things that I had done, and afterwards there was a period of time there where I, I was completely befuddled on how I actually needed to use that mold to pour baits because everything that I was pouring was coming out like half poured, or I don't even know what happened. So I went through a period of time there where I was doing a lot of experimenting and trying to figure out um, if I just sunk a ton of money into something that I wasn't going to be able to use or what exactly the situation was. So um,
0: I take it you got but- rectified. It, huh?
3: Well, I definitely got it rectified. So, and uh, luckily, through some internet searches, was able to find some information out there
4: mm-hmm. that
3: helped somewhat, and and uh, was able to get that taken care of. And so then, I also came up with another predicament. So that predicament was the meatballs that I made out of the silicone mold before the aluminum mold had um. It was redesigned in between there. So it went from being uh, something that me, uh, not a machinist or anybody with an eye for um, angles and accuracy. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of uh, my dad is an engineer. So he's a perfectionist. So every single time that I would like take him a meatball, he would like um, sand it for like a day and a half, I think. Just to try to like get every single line to be symmetrical, and I'm like, Dad, it doesn't matter. These guys are they're gonna throw it out there behind a boat and troll four miles an hour, and the fish is just gonna tear the paint off anyway. Um, and he, you know, he was like a perfectionist. But um, the thing that I realized after that was, whenever I got it um, designed with you know CAD and 3D um, symmetrical bait. The the areas that I had, um, which weren't very significant, but flat sides, um, it really increased the stability. So that's one of those things with hydrodynamics that, you know, if you were an engineer or somebody that actually paid attention to that kind of stuff, and, and I wasn't at the time um, – I really had no idea what I was doing whenever I first designed the bait. <laughs> I was just making something that looked, you know, yeah. it, when it ran that first time it ran, I'm like, man, well then, you know, it's like, you got to duplicate that. It's like, uh, <laughs> how do I do this? You know. <laughs> and uh, back at that time I wasn't writing anything down or, you know, you realize how important that is after you do trial and error seven times on, you know, from one batch to the next. And you realize, geez, that line is off. Quarter of an inch or whatever it was, and you know the bait runs completely different,
0: um, or doesn't run so at it, all.
3: Exactly, yes. <laughs> and plenty of them have been that way. You got piles of firewood that you could <laughs> stay warm for a whole winter, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Just but cooking um, meatballs. Yeah.
1: So the so. meatball, the meatball is one size. How big is the meatball? The meatball is,
3: I would say, it's four and a half inches and about five and a quarter with the lip total um so between the previous version with the silicone mold has a little bit of flatter sides and the version out of the aluminum mold which has slightly more rounded sides those are going to both be offered now um because i found that the one that has the more rounded sides blocks like crazy and mm-hmm. um so it's just that little you know that slight you know, the flat sides the difference there um really you know lets them move all over the place so i'm still going to be making both of those and uh, i don't know if i've ever told people about the difference like that before but that's um
0: well you just told a half a million people so well that's good
3: (laughs) now i won't have to explain it again right that's
1: (laughs) how we
0: like it tell them once (laughs) do you ever think about making a
1: bigger one like the meat
4: Uh, loaf yeah (laughs) i'm like do i
3: go do i stay with this because i make a flat bait that's the same shape um just a flat cedar bait that i call the meat pie so i'm like no am i like what am i doing here am i like walking down but i love how (laughs) you know i mean this world is all about hashtags now apparently and my hashtag muskies eat meatballs is uh one of those things that I think is pretty catchy. So and we're you know, we're going all over the place now with you know, we're gonna start a crockpot pot collection and we're gonna have <laughs> shirts made with not your mama's meatball and you know, it's like it's, you gotta exploit it while you can, right? Yeah, you're gonna be
0: like <laughs> the Jim Gaffigan of bait makers talking yeah, exactly consistently about food. <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean I'm I'm spending my time down here at this meatball shop on uh, Penn Avenue in the strip district. And I'm thinking, should, <laughs> I, be, should I be doing the eating eat meatballs and making meatballs? And next thing you know, I'm going <laughs> to turn into one. But there you yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've actually considered making a bigger one and, and I just, I'm not sure how I would go. Um, if I would make it as wide as you know, like translate the, the smaller version of the meatball into big fat meatball which I would mm-hmm. be interested to see how it runs. but um,
0: Make it like the size I mean, of a volleyball and just...
3: that would I think that'd be cool, you know, and I think that's one of those things. The guys are really, you know, big fat baits push a lot of water, and uh, I think it's one of the biggest compliments I've ever received on the meatball was that it runs unique. And I think that's really cool because to me, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there making stuff that is pretty similar to other stuff. And I mean, that's the nature of the beast, but, and I really feel that the guy hit the nail on the head whenever he, um, he told me that the action was like a chugging action, which I think is, is, you know, it's very hit the nail on the head. Um, It runs, like, forward. It pulls forward, and it's kind of neat because with the rattle in it, it really kicks off a lot of noise. I remember back with that uh, aluminum boat, you could hear it, you know, if you were fishing pilot tuning in the spring running a four-foot line, you could hear that thing in the water making noise, and it's like, wow, that's pretty crazy. I'm sure the fish hear it if they're feeling the vibrations of the water. I mean, obviously, they can – pick up on things a lot better than we can.
4: Um,
0: I would say that one thing that I would, you probably already know this, but I'll put this out there because other people might not be thinking. If you're going to make a bait the size of a volleyball called the meatloaf, (laughs) you got (laughs) to tackle the problem of hookup percentage. Oh yeah. that's People don't, I don't think, notice that as much. And Todd brought this up very early on when we were doing the Raptor in that he would prefer a bait that was a straight piece of wire with three hooks on it. Oh yeah. And, and that's yeah. one of those, when you start getting those big giant baits, you are just not getting a hook in their face.
3: Well, that's the thing. I mean, obviously with T and your hooks, you kind of get a little better coverage, but with hooks swinging around and things like that on a lot of these baits too, the way that, you know, these guys are making baits a walk and you know, it's like, I, I don't know what the heck happens to the hooks underneath the lure. But I know whenever I bring a lure back in and there's hook rash on it, it's like all over the place. So, I mean, there's like you said, I mean, a bigger bait has plenty of opportunity for you know, maybe the hook's just on the other side of the bait when the fish hits it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of area in between there where there's you know no hook coverage at all on a on a big bait. Um, so that's one of those things. And I think guys that fish big baits regularly. You know, especially if you've been to Canada and you're fishing big baits and places like that. I mean, fish hit them and they don't get hooked. It's kind of the nature of the beast. And, yeah. and you know that when you're fishing a big bait, I think if you, you're comfortable fishing, big baits on, you know, a lot of guys buy a plow and run it for a little while and take it off because it's just, it's just too uncomfortable for them.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And obviously, I mean, that's another one of those, uh, East versus Midwest, West kind of things too, or, you know, we're, obviously running a lot more smaller baits commonly because our bait fish are just a lot smaller, um, or what they're keying in on at least a lot of these lakes. So,
0: yeah. So is there anything, anything new that you're going to try to unveil this, you know, this, uh, (laughs) this year at the Muskie Max, or you're just hoping to get something?
3: I'm just hoping to get something done. No, I I really, uh, we had a baby like two years ago, so it's been a struggle here recently just because, you know, I'm in the basement, like literally working in the basement, and I got stuff on the washer and the dryer, and my wife comes down to wash clothes, and it's like, where did you move all that stuff that I had? And it's like, you know, it's like hooks and lips that have wire through them. It's like not stuff that you should be. Stashing everywhere, but
0: yeah, dropping a yeah, whole big uh, handful of you know treble hooks in the baby's clothes. That's
3: one of those things you like bump something, and it's like it's like you know the whole house deck of cards is coming down. Yeah, but <laughs> I think that's how it goes, and we're you know kind of always in the process of looking for a bigger house. So I'm hoping the one day have like a bait making facility. Or, you
0: know, I have (laughs) like someone's already been there making baits and they're like, I just, it's too hard for me to move this drying reel and, you know, this airbrush with this (laughs) compressor and vent system is just, you can have it. I don't want it anymore. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that's exactly what I need. (laughs) So, yeah. And that was the thing too. Um, whenever I immediately, you know, whenever I started putting stuff on the internet and having a little bit of success, um, my friend told me one of my biggest problems is that I can't say no to people. So I was that's like how telling we got everybody, you on the show. yeah, yeah, I'll make baits. <laughs> I'll make you baits. You know, it's <laughs> like, and the next thing I know, my wife's locking me out of the house. and
0: <laughs> but... She's like, can you give me your key, please? Okay. <laughs>
3: He's, she's trying to sell all these baits to people. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this isn't going to, you know, I got to get on her good side before I get on uh, somebody's good side somewhere else for sending them a bait so we're uh we're working to get things back in order here and and doing the shows and everything like that
0: so well you got five months to get it together
3: oh that's why i'm trying to get it together (laughs) (laughs) i work for a planning agency and that's one of the biggest things that i've found is that you know even if you work for a planning agency a lot of times people just don't have a plan, so it's good to uh, get on it a little bit in
0: advance. <laughs> <laughs>
3: See if we can get things good started deal. in the right direction.
0: I I so. like it. Is so let's 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 wrap this one up. You know where where can they find your stuff again?
3: You can find me on Facebook. I'm on. Uh, I've got a page for Shaw's Bait Company. Uh, send me a message or you know like the page, obviously, and you'll. Get to see all the pictures that I post on there of uh, stuff that's getting sent out to a lot of different Muskie Inc. chapters. So this uh, winter or spring, whenever they're having their banquets, look for my stuff on the tables. I'll pick it up, give it a try, and uh, send me pictures.
0: <laughs> there you go. Give positive feedback. We like to hear that. Yep, always. All right. Evan, thank you for uh, coming on. And I'm No gonna... problem, guys. All right. We're going to thank our sponsors real quick here uh fatty z musky products muddy creek fishing guides vicks marine sports center ranger boats st croix rods baker baits muskies inc and the musky max plus so with that everyone it's getting chilly if you're fishing (laughs) good luck if you're hunting good luck and thanks for listening